0: It was in chaos, uh, and different versions give different wordings, but that's okay. It means the same thing, empty darkness over the surface of the deep. I want to establish with you this morning in in, uh, a way that will help you to love the Bible and to go to it uh, with such an open mind and such a sense of of, uh, firmness. Uh, the Bible is not a history book, though it contains history. It is not a scientific book, although there are some scientific facts in it. Uh, it is not a... a uh, it's, it's not just... Uh, what could we call it? It's just not a series of biographies, although there are so many. The Bible is a book of redemption. It's God showing to man... God showing to us his redemption purpose. In other words, he intended to redeem us. He intended to uh, save us. And part of that plan was this book. And the author of the book is the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that hovered over the prophets. And and that's why uh, when you study the Bible, uh, there are two ways of studying it. Some people think that they went into a trance and wrote. It, it wasn't that way at all. They did not go into a trance and write. Uh, they were used of the Holy Spirit. Their faculties were used of the Holy Spirit, which is so, it, it's so interesting and it's so beautiful uh, because you know it wasn't science because sometimes the things they say were not scientific at all. It's Joshua that told the sun to stand still. The sun doesn't move. But that's all he knew. All he knew was that he wanted sunlight. So as far as he was concerned, he didn't want the sun to go anywhere because he needed the sunlight for battle. So when he looks up to heaven and gives a command of faith, he said, sun, stand still. So every scientist in the world said that proves it's not. It's scientifically out of order. Listen it may be scientifically out of order but God never intended that Joshua be the scientist he just intended he be the man of God and give the order and God understands this is what I say about our prayers folks remember we send up prayers this way no we send up prayers sometimes upside down and inside out yeah you tell God what to do you tell him how to do it you tell him when you want it you give him a timetable and then God takes that prayer and does exactly as he pleases because at the end of your prayer, you said, Thy will be done. And God did fine with it. He just, he just fixed it up. But that's God, and that's why I love him, and that's why I serve him. Because no matter how confused I may be, there is no confusion in him. No matter how crazy I might be, there's nothing crazy about my God. But isn't it funny? I, I just don't know how he trusts me. I really don't. Uh, you understand? I know why I trust him, but I don't know why he trusts me. But yet he does. He trusts you and he trusts me. He trusts us with the seed of the gospel. He trusts us with his love. He trusts us to communicate. And sometimes it's not easy. But I share this with you with, with, uh, with an open heart. Uh, let, let me give you a few other examples, which are super examples. It's David in the book of Psalms that talks about the four corners of the earth. So when, when the church took over, they declared the earth was square, and if you went to a certain point, your ship went overboard. It's finished. Uh, and, and it wasn't a Bermuda Triangle either. It was just, you know, and this is what people believed. And if you opened your mouth and went against the church, you could have gotten your head clubbed off. Now we found out that, that that's not the way it is. And then it goes on, and it says, And the earth stands on the pillars, uh, for God has put his uh, this world on the pillars. No, we're not standing on pillars you and I know that. Uh, so you can go right straight through the Bible and find a million errors. And then, and then people come up. And I think one of the sweetest ones is that uh, the geologists, which is a new science, new in terms of the last 100, 150 years, and that's new. The geologists say that they have the greatest argument against the Bible, And it's the fact that the world is given to us in uh, seven days, five, six days, uh, and that is impossible for the rocks proved uh, that there are millions and millions of years. And you see, I have no problems with that. Uh, Some people immediately get on God's bandwagon and say, well, we answer that saying God is the God creator, which he is. And if he wants to put a million years into a rock, In one second, he can do it. Amen, he can do it. He can do it. He has no problems with that. I know that. But the thing is that I don't know how long it took between verse 1 and verse 2. Because, you see, my God was never in a hurry. Time is not of an essence to him. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. And we talk about eternity because that's the only way we can explain, you know, where God lives and where God is. You know, we kind of give him a house and we give him a time bracket and we say in eternity and from eternity to eternity. But that's because we couldn't go past that if we tried. You understand what I mean? But God is in the fathomless and and, and where he was and who he is. Oh, I don't even want to deal with that. And the beautiful thing is I don't have to. You see, I want God to analyze me, but I don't have to analyze God. I want God to deal with my soul and my spirit. I want God to let me know where I fail. I want God to smile on me when I do well. But as far as me checking God out, hey, well, let me see, points for you today. No, oh, God, forgive, help me. And some people act that way. We don't have to. So I share with you that in between the first and the second verse, uh, There could have been millions and millions and millions and millions of years. Now the second verse gives me a little bit of problem because it says now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. I understand God to do things perfect. I understand God to do things well. I understand God's creation to be perfect because he is God. Now from one verse to another verse, I don't know how many million years went by, And I'm not worried about it, but there is a break there and there is something about about it that I don't understand. Now some of the thinking of some of the people that interpret the bible and I don't pick up any of these thinkings unless I feel that they hold some sort of truth that it could have been and that truth has got to be thoroughly confirmed with the word of God otherwise I can't use it and what I what I find there and many people it's not I'm not telling it to you I read it and I share it with you some people feel that between verse 1 and verse 2 we have the fall of Lucifer we have the commotion in the heavens we have the rebellion of the angels and uh, you say well what what, what are we talking about yes uh, uh, come with me to Isaiah 14 uh, uh, and I'll show you just to give you an idea. And Isaiah 14 is using what we call in biblical studies uh, uh, the double reference, where it refers to a situation that's happening, and what was happening was Babylon, and what was happening was Nebuchadnezzar, and what was happening was all of those things. And uh, and in this uh, 14th chapter of the book of Isaiah we have a declaration which is quite interesting. And in this 14th chapter, go with me to the 12th and 13th verses, please. 14, 12 to 14. Okay. And it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once... Laid low, the na- laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the top of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Okay? That's an exclamation of pride. It's uh, the double reverence which is accepted in terms of the fall of Lucifer. There are other scriptures, but in the morning I don't have time. I will go into it in the Bible study when we study... Uh, this tremendous book of, uh, of, of Genesis. Uh, but it's interesting, folks, because when you look at the Scripture and when you see it, I want you to see the whole Gospel in these two verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It starts with God, the mighty creator. It starts with God, the one that has made all things. It starts with God because God is the beginning. And that's why our life has no meaning unless we have a beginning. And we've got to have our beginning in God. In the beginning, God. Well, what about your beginning? That's why Jesus came and taught us, uh, whoever is born again, what are we talking about? A new beginning, uh, a new birth. Uh, It has to be, we have to have with God a beginning. And this precious revelation, here it is, uh, in the beginning God, whoa! I want to hop, skip, jump, yell, in the beginning God. Well, because he was there, I have a beginning And if my life up to here is a mess, I've got a new beginning. He says, come on, let's get together. I'll start it over for you. Why? Because he's the creator. He's the Lord God Almighty. He can do it. I can't, but he can. And we've got to trust him. None of us, until we see that beginning, until we see God as he wants to be seen, we'll not trust him. You've got to see him in his majesty. You've got to see him in his beauty. You've got to see Him as Creator. You've got to see Him as Lord God Almighty. You've got to see Him as the One that holds everything in His hands. When you when you sense that strength, when you understand it, you say, "Sister, what? Well, 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 is it is it a tremendous breakthrough? No, no. It's the Spirit of God. The truth. The Spirit of God revealing. Young ladies, I need perfect attention. Thank you. I need." Uh, <sighs> I'm an emotional preacher. Not only emotional, I have very few notes in front of me. And any distraction becomes a major for me, okay? So we're talking about beginnings. In the beginning God, God will give us our beginning and it's important for us to know that. That's why whenever you meet someone, you have something to offer. You say, Sister Amy, he's 80 years old. He's got a new beginning. Oh, it's just a wild kid. He's got a new beginning. The only thing is, we must see him. We must see him. And you say, Sister Amy, how can I see him? How can I see him? Well, first of all, the most important thing about seeing God is just being still enough to see him. I walked through the rain yesterday afternoon, and I enjoyed it so much. I know at this age, you can't walk through the rain too much. You know, that's for Gene Kelly in Paris. But... Uh, uh, I, I just enjoyed it, just to know the value of the rain, just to know the importance of it, uh, just to know uh, that we can't live without it, just to know that God brings it, God gives it. Oh, folks, in the beginning, God. you got to have a beginning with God. If you don't, you can. Because he says, come on, I'll give you a new beginning. Let's start. Let us start. So we have in the beginning, we have God. Now the earth was formless, empty. In some places, it says void and chaotic, okay? And darkness was over the surface of the deep. Right in there, we have the work that Satan has done on the face of the earth in terms of, of mankind. We have the satanic uh, uh, influence and that's why it's interesting. Here you've got the book of Genesis, and in the book of Genesis, you've got the two almighty, not, excuse me, I beg your pardon. You've got the two forces. One is almighty, and one is very temporal. And it's the force of God, and His offering you a of new beginning, him being the creator. And then you've got Satan trying to care, trying to create what? What he knows how to create. He wants to create, first of all, an emptiness. Uh, He wants to make us formless. He wants to make us creatures of darkness. Uh, And this is what we're talking about. And if you you analyze this, you'll see it is the work of Satan. Uh, We sat uh, with our hearts in our hands uh, at at some of our sessions uh, and looked into the eyes of a person that was so needy, so needy of God. And we just asked a very simple question. Would you give him one day Just one day. Give God just one day. I realized the person we were talking to was high and out of his mind. But he very realistically looked at us and said, I can't give you one day. I can't give you one day. Then he put out his arm and he says, this is where it's got to go. This is where it's got to go. And I thought to myself, god help us, but you see i still believe god can give us a revelation i still believe that god can move in i still believe god's able i still believe it i believe it i believe it because in god there are new beginnings in god everything is possible you say sister amy you know you're you're creating an atmosphere of, of, of sort of uh, uh santa claus uh, childishness no i'm not No, I'm not. I've never said to you, you won't go through hard times. I've never said to you, the storm won't rage in your life. Uh, I've never said to you that you won't lose loved ones. Uh, I've never said to you that your children won't rise up against you. I've never said it to you. But that's the way it is. But in the midst of all of that, he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And I will be there with you. And he's the light that shines. And he's the one that says, if you walk in me, I will be in you. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you are my child. And he says something lovely. And then my father loves you because you love me. Oh, glory to God. Oh, I love the Lord this morning. I love the Lord. God is the one of new beginnings, the enemy is the one of all the disaster. Our first sight of Satan in the scripture is a, a very sad one, and it's in Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, in the very first chapter, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did you really, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now I've got to establish something with you now and and listen to me carefully because it's important that you do. And it's this. The entire garden was theirs. Are you hearing me? The entire garden was theirs. There was nothing in the garden that wasn't theirs. There was just one tree that God said, "Don't touch that one." And then I—it's I, amazing because so many people say, "Well, why did He put it there?" Because He knows, you know, uh, thirty-three on seventy-two or whichever way it goes. Uh, no, God had determined that man would serve Him by choice. And even the descent of Lucifer from heaven when he rebelled against God, when his pride rose up and he thought he was bigger than God, or at least intended to be, he was cast down. I mean, God just wiped him out in terms of, and even there, choice was involved. Choice was involved. Satan went on a campaign, recruited a third of the angels. Recruited a third of the angels. Promised them his lie. We will. We'll be as big as him. We'll be as great as him. We'll be... Whoa! You know what power does, folk? Huh? You know what power does? You know what power does? You're going to be in charge. We're going to be in charge. This is all going to be ours. Whoa! And a third of them said, We'll go with you, Lucifer. And somehow or other, I almost see God saying, I can't really be bothered with this right now. Open the heavens. And out they went. And if you don't believe me, let me share a scripture with you because it's important that you know it. Uh, and the important one is Luke 10:18, please. Luke 10:18, Because sometimes you'll think I'll be making up these stories. And it's important that you know I'm not making them up. It sounds fantasy. And today in the day of ghosts and goblins... I better know what I'm saying. Luke 10 and the 18th verse, and this is interesting. This is interesting. I'm sorry, Luke 14:10. I'm sorry, 10:18. Uh, I've got two scriptures too close to one another. Luke 10:18 says. The following, and you've got to realize it's the time that Jesus sent his disciples out to do the work that they would later be doing. Okay, Uh, and verse 8 let's go with 8 so you'll understand. When you enter the town and you're welcome to eat what they set before you, heal the sick that are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and you're not welcome, go into the streets. And say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet will wipe off against you. Be sure of this, the kingdom of, yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. How important. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And then he goes on and uh, and he says, woe to you. He's going on to the cities that didn't respond uh, to him. And then verse 16, he who listens to you listens to me he who rejects you rejects me but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me the 72 returned with joy and said lord even the demons submit to us in your name and he replied i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven now i've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the powers uh, of the enemy, nothing will harm you. However, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hallelujah. Okay, so uh, this sets a few, a few scores straight as far as the fact that Jesus, what, what, what he's telling his disciples you cast the demons out but look I saw him fall from heaven in other words I know he's a fallen angel I know he has no power I know that he cannot trample on me and what he was trying to tell them and he did he can't trample on you either folks I'm here to tell you today and tell it to you loud and clear Satan has no authority over your life Satan has no power in your life uh, the only power he has is the power that you give him. And my only fear with the congregation, my only fear with our lives, my only fear with us uh, is that sometimes we don't assert ourselves in the word, but we do assert ourselves in our guilt. We assert ourselves and, and maybe we didn't live exactly like we should. Or maybe we didn't do everything we should have done. In other words, we've always got a system before God of of of, of checks and balances which are crazy, which are absolutely crazy because God doesn't keep a scorecard. What God is interested is in your heart. What God is interested is in, hey, what's happening in there? Do you love me? Will you walk with me? Will you take my hand? Would you let me be your strength? I mean, that's what God's interested in, not us. We're always thinking, oh my, you know what I did? I did it 10 years ago. Did it 15 years ago. This haunts me. That haunts me. I, I I, I left the house in a fury this morning. Matter of fact, I even told my wife to go where I shouldn't have told her to go. <laughs> oh, my. And, you know, and all of this, and we're pressured. We're pressured by the fact that we don't meet the, you know, because we think there's a standard. Let me tell you something. Faith doesn't work on a standard basis. Faith works on acceptance. Uh, is he your savior? If he's your savior, he's in your heart. If he's your savior, he has sealed you for the day of salvation. Now, from then on in, it's a process. It's a daily walk. And you will slip and you will fall and you will say and you will do. And you will get all bruised up in your Christian walk. But pick yourself up. Put your face toward heaven. And remember, in the beginning, God... Go back to a beginning with him. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And trust God to have power over all of your weaknesses. If you put your hand in him. If you surrender to him. If you move in with him. You know, I've met some of the nastiest people that get so much from God. And I feel like telling God that they're bad boys and they're bad girls and not to give them anything. And God pays no attention to me. He keeps showering them with blessings. He keeps them so nice. Uh, And then I almost feel like Satan when he went before God with Job. Sure you, sure he serves you. Look at the way you keep him. He's the richest man. Has the most handsome children in town. I mean the man needs absolutely nothing. I can almost hear Satan saying, I'd serve you too. And once again, the test... Took place. And let me tell you something. There's only one thing to say about God and Job God trusted him. Are you going through hell? God trusts you. Are you going through sorrows? God trusts you. Are you going through pain? God trusts you. He trusts you. He trusts that little seed that's in you. He trusts that tiny bit of faith that's yours. That scream in the night that says, I love you. That cry in the night that says God's in here. Okay? You do not have to be a physical saint. You have to be a spiritual believer. That's where it goes. That's where it counts. Oh, folks, hear me well. Hear me well. Satan would destroy us. But God would build us up. He would build us up. Make us his creatures. Make us his person. Now Satan is in charge, not in charge. Nobody's giving him charge. He's taken over. But he is the one that makes people trip and fall. In the temptation of Jesus, once again, he, how did he tempt him? He tempted him with with bread, which is the most basic human need. He, he tempted him with power. Throw yourself from the temple. People will see you, and you will be whoa. But you see, Satan knew enough to know. That he was thrown from heaven for his pride. So he's telling Jesus, do the same thing. (laughs) I might get you thrown out too. Yes, it's Satan. And I love the Lord. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I mean, get away from me, won't you please? And notice the answers. Satan was conquered through the word. Don't try to conquer him with your fancy living. Don't try to conquer him with your manipulations. Just give him the word. And what does the word say? We are more than conquerors. We are overcomers. The blood covers me. I can do all things in him who strengtheneth me. I am more than an overcomer. That's what the word says. Don't go by anything else. Just go by the word. Hallelujah. In the last temptation, the devil offered Jesus the, 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 the shortcut of a lifetime. The shortcut of a lifetime. The shortcut that's almost mentioned by Jesus in Gethsemane. If this could pass. If this cup could pass. But my God, thy will, not mine. Satan says to me, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. You don't have to fight. You don't have to die. You don't have to do nothing. I'll give them to you. And that's what Satan does with our young people, with our old people. That's what Satan does through the instrument of riches and power. That's what Satan does through all of that. He promises us the world. You say, well, well, well," he's never done it to me. Yes, he has. We're talking about attitudes. We're talking about spirits. We're talking about things you pick up and capture. We're talking about so many things. We don't even know when it's activated. We don't even know when somebody puts the plug in and gets us going okay? We don't even know how many colors we turn. We don't even realize it. But you know something? I, I, I love the thought of seeing what the whole world has and what everybody possesses. And think of how I fantasize if someday this or someday that or someday this or someday that, then all of a sudden I think of who I am in God, that Christ died for me, that I have nothing to worry about. That should a semi-hit me right crossing Castle Hill Avenue. I have nothing to worry about. The body will go down with a big thump. And I think the Lord will let me see me walk out in my spirit and just go up to heaven. And a few angels to help me. That's all. And it, that's, that's the way it is. That is the way it is. Now Satan is in, in charge. Uh, not in charge. He's made himself in charge of tempting us, of condemning us of cursing us. And remember, this is the one that curses God. I'm going to give you the greatest uh, strategy, satanic strategy. He doesn't wear a red suit. He doesn't have a pitchfork. He does not have a tail. He does not have, he's not a goblin, although he can take any, because Satan can possess any creature. Satan can possess anything he wants to, really. And, and like he took the snake. And if you've ever heard a demon-possessed person, you know they're demon-possessed. You know they're demon-possessed. I, I've had that experience. Where the person is not talking to me, but Satan is talking to me through the person. And he does possess uh, bodies, animals. He'll possess anything he can possess. But even being close to a possessed person, you are protected. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is your shield. Swords can spade around you, but they won't touch you. They won't touch you because it's God's will to protect you. It's God's will to do so. You say, but Sister Amy said, I die. Well, then let's understand this. It was God's will and you'll be. The only way you'll understand it is when it happens. You don't want it to happen? It won't happen. <laughs> I'm just telling you that we have nothing to worry about. Oh, praise the Lord. Uh, now, I want, I want to share the last part of this, which I think is so important. And we're back to Genesis 1. And it says, uh, and the emptiness and the darkness, that's, uh, that in terms of our life is the work of Satan. And, it, and let me tell you something. There are things that are done in our life that has nothing to do with Satan. It just has to do with our ugly us. You hear me? Satan is blamed for a lot of things he doesn't do. There are things that we are in control of and we should know it. Okay? When it comes to character, when it comes to judgment, when it comes to situations in which the Bible tells us how to live and we don't obey what the Bible tells us to live and how to live it, well, then we are in trouble. But we've got to obey the word of God. We've got to obey. You see, folks, the minute you get away from the word, other people will fill your ears. Other things will fill your eyes. And other situations will fill your mind. If you were a drug addict in New Beginnings, we've often spoken about it. Uh, As soon as you get cold or a little indifferent, uh, you can almost smell the cocaine around you if anybody is, uh, is smoking a reefer or anything it, it, it hits you uh, like like extra hard uh, uh, in other words when 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 we're when we're when we're getting away from where God wants us every temptation we ever had becomes alive and well around us and that's why when you become extra sensitive to wanting to do all the old things you used to do and you let them go. Hey, that means somewhere in your life the Word of God is failing. Get back to the Word. Get back to the Word. And this is what I love the most. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. (laughs) The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God created everything in the beginning. Satan tried to mess it up. And no doubt he did, and this was a mess. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What does that mean? That ultimately God is in charge. That no matter what's happening to us, and no matter what confusion, and no matter what, the Spirit of God is hovering, is hovering. Folks, you know why this world isn't consumed in its own craziness? You know why we're not consumed in our own lies, in our own fraudulent manner of living? You know why we're not consumed with our own uglinesses and with our own lack of character? You know why we're not consumed? Because over the earth the Holy Spirit hovers. He hovers over the earth. Why? Because this earth is God's treasure. And no matter how many ugly people you know, and no matter how many people you wish were dead, the Spirit of God still hovers over the waters of, of the earth the Holy Spirit is still the one in charge. I'm so glad God didn't put me in charge. I'm so glad the church isn't in charge. I'm so glad denominations aren't in charge. God said when it comes to salvation, when it comes to men and women, when it comes to freeing them, when it comes to blessing them, when it comes to letting them know what's right and what's wrong, we'll take care of that. We've got a job. There's a job of edification in the church. There is a job of fellowship in the church. There is a job of togetherness in the church. There is something we do for each other that is beautiful. I come in here Sunday morning and I got, I got to tell you something. I rest on Mondays, but only because I got to come down from the high of the love of the presence of God and the presence of each and every one of you. It's, it's an excitement, it's, it's a moment, it's a, it's a blessing. Listen, we have a seven o'clock service. If you would come, we've got enough fire that you would think it was a 10 o'clock service. Why? Because it is the Spirit of God that hovers over. He's the one that does it. We're not in charge. This isn't growing because of Pastor Amy. This is growing because the Holy Spirit hovers over our lives, hovers uh, over the face of the earth, hovers uh, over the people that are walking by. And I think, oh shoot, come on, Hallelujah, woo, <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, the Holy Spirit hovers over this world. Don't give up on it. Don't give up on a Hussein. Don't give up on an Iraq. Uh, don't give up on a, on a situation in the East. Don't give up on anything. The Spirit of God hovers uh, over the waters of the earth. And he still does. Uh, there's confusion and there's war and there's everything. But we pray uh, God's will be done. Lord, undertake. And remember folks, what's happening in the East uh, is so prophetic. That you got to go home and say, oh God. Make sure I'm ready. When I think that Kuwait... Was where God called Abraham out of. Ur of the Chaldeans? That's Kuwait. God called him out of there. When I think of what they call Baghdad, was old Babylonia, I think, oh my God. We've come full circle round, folks. Full circle round to the same spot. And you know what's you know what's funny? <laughs> God said to Abraham, I'll bless your seed. And then God said to Hagar and Ishmael, I'll bless you too. So here we we have a Jewish nation, the fiercest warriors in the whole wide world. Nothing compares to Israel. They're a little spot of nothing, nowhere. And they'll take on the world. And they'll take it on with God. Because God said he'd be with them. Don't ask me why. It's God. I'm so glad I was taught by my father. If you bless them, you will be blessed. If you curse them, you will be cursed. And down through the ages, I've seen it. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I don't question God. And then you take Ishmael. The Lord said, I'll bless you too. I'll make you rich. I was seeing pictures of Kuwait. There isn't any city in the United States that looks like Kuwait. Everything is gloriously white. Every child that's born, I think, is born with sixteen hundred or three thousand dollars. Uh, that, that, that's their birth, their their birth gift from the nation. I'd have a baby every year. <laughs> I'm telling you, folks, we've come full circle round, and what do we see? In the beginning, God! And yes, Satan is still trying to tear the world apart. Possessing men, possessing women, possessing powers. But the Spirit of God hovers over the world. That's what I trust. That's what I trust. I want you to go home knowing the Spirit of God hovers over you. The Spirit of God hovers over your job where you're working. The Spirit of God hovers over your intentions and your desires. Your yearnings your and your longings. The Spirit of God hovers over that. And with that... We don't need anything else. The book of Genesis. Want to know more? Come Thursday. The book of Genesis. A great book.